All right, it's Cody here. Uh, it's another here for another episode of That I May See. Uh, that's the name of the podcast. I uh, get that name from Psalm 119, where uh, the psalmist is writing and says, uh, God, give me eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word or wonderful things in your law. And that's really just the basic, simple premise of this podcast is that uh, on a weekly basis, hopefully, um, we can look at each book of the Bible and, not, and, and even after that, certain portions of Scripture and just talk about it and, and see wonderful things in Scripture to stir up those who may have a hard time seeing uh, the beauty of the Bible. Um, and so uh, my goal, as I started last time, is to help us see wonderful things in every book of the Bible. And that's what I want to do this week again, too. And so um, the last episode... I, I did seeing wonderful things in Genesis. In this episode, I want to do seeing wonderful things in Exodus. I want to go book by book. And I want to do something a little special this week. Is, uh, I can't do it every week. I probably can't do it a whole lot. But I want to have on a guest this week. And this guest is amazing. She's brilliant. She's one of my favorite theologians. One of my favorite people in general. Um, her uh, teaching and just her life and her work. Uh, they just really uh, glorify God and really reflect what I think is is biblical justice and just biblical Christianity. I think she, uh, in such a unique way, lives that out. And uh, and her name is Miriam Boone. And uh, I actually have the privilege of going to church with her and working for her and alongside her. Um, Miriam Boone is the executive director for What Hope Tulsa. Um, one Hope is a nonprofit that is dedicated to, to doing justice, doing biblical justice, and giving the one hope of Jesus uh, to the community in, in biblical ways, in trauma-responsive ways. Uh, we know we live in a world where uh, it's becoming more abundantly clear that most people have some form of trauma from some point in their life. And I think Miriam, more than anybody on our staff, has recognized that and led the way um, and how we can respond to those things. Um, she's helped develop a, a, a indirect a variety of programs, including an urban ministry internship for college students. Um, I love the urban ministry internship because uh, different students from colleges uh, all over the country uh, have come and have been a part of this internship, whether it's from Covenant College, whether it's from Boyce College, whether it's from here in Tulsa. Uh, TU, or, or whether it's from Harding University. I mean, just different, different places where students uh, are following the Lord. And they come here and they do this internship for the summer um, that teaches them about biblical justice and about caring for the poor. Um, and uh, we also have a fellowship as well for those who are college graduates, recent college graduates that can kind of extend that internship, not for the summer, but for the whole year. And also, uh, Miriam has a BA in English and Bible. And also, she has completed the Christian Counseling Education Foundation's Advanced Biblical Counseling Program. Um, one of the reasons I also think she's just brilliant, she has an MLIT from the University of St. Andrews. Uh, very prestigious university. And she has her MLIT in the Bible and the contemporary world. Uh, the reason I want to have her on, there's so many reasons, but one of the reasons is because... Uh, a few years ago, she preached a, uh, a sermon called the, the Fear of Egypt. No, I'm sorry. It's called The Anxiety of Egypt, How Fear Fuels Oppression. And I wasn't there when she preached it, but when I began attending Springs of Grace Bible Church, which is where we go here in Tulsa, um, someone sent me that and they're like, 
bro, you have to listen to this. No, I didn't know Miriam that well at the time. I didn't know a lot of people, editors that well at the time. So I listened to it and I was just blown away um, about how she was able to correctly apply uh, Exodus 1 and 2 to even not just the ancient world, but even the modern world today um, and how uh, our country in a lot of ways is taking after Egypt and, and it's, it's fear. And it's anxiety and how oppression comes into that. And it just blew me away. It helped me see the book of Exodus in a whole new way that I'd never seen it before. And so I kind of want to have her on to talk about it. And just for her to share uh, a few insights or, or a few things that she thinks is amazing in the book of Exodus. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy her uh, in this episode. This will probably be your favorite episode because she's on it. Uh, I love her so much. And so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to begin. What's up? Hey, hey. Hey, thank you for joining us, Miriam. I was trying to see if that link worked or not, and obviously it does. Um, all right, let's kind of go ahead and get into it. Um, obviously, people know this is the that I may see podcast, and like I said, kind of an intro, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have Miriam on is because I think uh, she has some really amazing insight into uh, the book of Exodus and, and just seeing wonderful things in there. And um, Miriam, there was a uh, sermon you preached at Urban Ministry Conference in 2017 called uh, The Anxiety of Egypt, How Fear Fuels Oppression. Um, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit, kind of how you came up with that title and even just uh, just a few key points in that message? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for having me on. And I, yeah, I want to say great. before I before I dive in that I love the title of your podcast and the verse it comes from, because I think when I think about who you are, I see someone who for anybody who doesn't know you and get to interact with you on a regular basis, you have more joy in in God's story than I think anyone I know. Like, that when you see wonderful things in the Bible, it you truly wonder over them. Like mm. you find so much joy in scripture and it's just such a, a source of life for you, which is how it should be for all of us. So I just, I really love that you're doing this and, and just kind of Thank walking you. through scripture and, and sharing those things. But Thank yeah, you. That's so I heard this, um, I heard someone say the phrase, I think I read it somewhere, the anxiety of Egypt. And that stood out to me because I, I hadn't encountered that. And so I, I kind of went back looking to try to see, because I thought of, I've thought of Egypt and I thought, I've thought of Egypt as being oppressive or Egypt mm-hmm. as being, you know, sort of a terrible place mm-hmm. <laughs> for God's people to live, but I never thought of Egypt as a place of anxiety. Mm. And so I kind of dove into Exodus, the first few chapters of Exodus, just deep and steady, trying to understand this. And what I found was that Egypt is an ext- a place of extreme anxiety. Mm. And that really, the way the author writes this story, we see that so clearly. Because what happens is this king shows up in Exodus chapter 1 who doesn't know about Joseph. So the Israelites have been living as sojourners or aliens in the land of Egypt. But it seems like there's a neighborliness that has existed between Egypt and Israel. Mm-hmm. And yet this king comes up who doesn't have a personal relationship with Joseph. 
Hmm. He doesn't know anyone who's a member of this oppressed, uh, what ends up becoming an oppressed group. Mm -hmm. And so he comes to power and he says to his people, look, the Israelites are, um, are numerous, right? And this is, this is really interesting because you see this connection right away in Exodus to Genesis, because Mm. in Genesis, Abraham is promised that God is going to make his descendants more numerous than the stars. Mm -hmm. And, Exodus 1 opens by saying that Israelites were fruitful, they're increasing rapidly, they're multiplying, they are becoming extremely numerous. So they are on this path to becoming more descendants than the stars for Abraham, right? And instead of having that point of view of seeing that this is God's hand of blessing, uh, the new king says, look, they're numerous, and this is a problem. And he says, he kind of creates this hypothetical to scare the people around him he says like Mm -hmm. hey like if we if we need to be reasonable we need to do something about this because if we don't they're going to multiply and if a war breaks out they're going to join our enemies they're going to fight against us and then the conclusion to his fear to his kind of list of Mm -hmm. worries is really interesting because he doesn't say what you might expect which is they might kill us all or Mm -hmm. we're going to be harmed instead he says they'll leave well, why does he care about the Egyptian? Why, why, do, why mm. does Egypt care about the Israelites leaving? Because the Israelites represented production capacity. They right. represented potential national um, you know, product. <clears throat> and so this is, this is really rooted in economics. Mm. And what happens is he's afraid that if Israel goes they're not going to have as much. They're not going to have enough. Mm. And all along, what when Moses shows up and starts asking, what does he say to Pharaoh? Let them go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to let them leave mm-hmm. because he needs these bodies here to produce for him. Wow. And, and so he, um, and it's interesting how it starts because the first thing he says is, Let's deal shrewdly. And I mean, I think this is sometimes how we respond to our own anxiety. It's like, you know, let's be reasonable about this. I mean, here, this, this is a real problem. We kind of try to present it as though the only logical thing is to do something about this, this thing that's scaring us, this fear that Mm -hmm. we're not going to have enough. And then he establishes a hierarchy. He assigns taskmasters who are over the Israelites. And from there, we end up in full-blown oppression and slavery. He oppresses mm-hmm. them with forced labor, uh, makes their lives bitter, ruthlessly imposes all this work on them. So now we've essentially got a situation where we have this enslaved people. And I think we have to be willing to, to recognize that the anxiety of Egypt has been the catalyst for the enslavement of an entire people group. Mm -hmm. And I just, to me, that that makes me stop and think because I have to ask myself, where is the anxiety of Egypt showing up in my own life? Mm -hmm. Where is the fear of not having enough um, dangerous for the vulnerable people around me? Because that's what happens. Like we convince ourselves that as long as we're not hating people, we're not hurting them. Mm -hmm. But this account tells us, Exodus is telling us that we can hurt people by being afraid of them, that it's often our fear that ends up 
putting driving us to implement policies and systems that harm others. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you don't have to think too hard about the politics of our nation to figure out ways in which our own fears are fueling systems and policies that mm-hmm. are harming um, those who don't have as much power. Yeah. So if, you know, to the degree that we are in positions of power, I think we have to be very on guard against the ways that the anxiety of Egypt, of that sense of, I'm not mm-hmm. going to have enough. Um, and that, that desire, that greed, that economic greed can creep into the way we start to think and particularly the way we view other people. And, and that's what I think yeah. you see happen, you see happen here. And um, yeah, so I, I yeah. Just, fear is dangerous to the most mm-hmm. vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. And when you, when I heard that sermon, I can't remember if it was your husband, Nate, who had sent it to me or maybe your dad or someone from the church, but that just like blew my mind because the, you know, when, when I heard you speak on this, the first thing I thought about was the election. Right. Mm-hmm. And and um, and not to get too partisan or anything, you know, but either way you spin it, whatever candidate you vote for, um, whether it was, you know, four years ago or even in a, in a month and a half, maybe um, people people vote and do things based off fear. Um, and that fear, like you said earlier, like really hurts people. Um, you know, whether it's uh, people at the border who uh, have this fear placed upon them because mm-hmm. they're immigrants mm-hmm. um, or whether it's African-Americans or or I mean, just all kinds of different people groups that we kind of naturally because we're not around them, we might think like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, we need to be afraid of them. And um, I just think you I'd never seen um, that passage applied that way, but but it makes perfect sense to me. Right. Um, yeah. And, and let me show you this too in the text, because I, you know, I said fear is dangerous, especially mm-hmm. for the most vulnerable. And by the time you get to the end of Exodus chapter one, so, mm-hmm. so Pharaoh has like, he kind of does this us, them thing. He's like, we need to drill deal shrewdly with them because otherwise mm-hmm. they're going to break out and we're going to be in danger. So he kind of creates that us, them split. But mm-hmm. then by the end of the chapter, he commands all his people you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile to mm-hmm. let every daughter live. And I mean, I've tried to picture this. I'm like, how do you get people who were neighbors to throw, to go and throw their neighbor's baby into a river? Mm. Like yeah. how, what can transform people like that? But if we look at history, this happens. Not just in Mm -hmm. the Old Testament. Think about what happened in Rwanda. If you study the Rwandan genocide, you've got people who are literally killing their own, their own relatives, their own church, you know, members, Mm -hmm. like their doctors, their teachers. And it's fear that fuels this. And so that's kind of what I wanted people to see when I, when I tried to open this text is that oppression is so often fueled by fear, by our own anxieties, mm-hmm. and um, by the way in which kind of a, a, a way of thinking about the world where I'm like, I need to store up enough for me. Mm. Like Pharaoh builds these store cities, which it's like, okay, um, you know, you may have a shed out back that you keep your stuff in, or maybe I've got a bank account, but he's got entire cities 
where he is keeping his <laughs> right. extra. Right. And God would say to Pharaoh, you fool, your life mm-hmm. is going to be required of you before you even get to use this stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, so I, I just, I really think that, um, that, that we have to be aware of that. And I also love um, one of the other things I wanted to highlight because you think about what is beautiful about this text. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in verse, um, in verse 20, there's a reference of chapter one to okay. the goodness, to the goodness of God, that God was mm. so good. And I know you talked in your, in your podcast on, on, on your first episode on Genesis, you talked about the goodness of God in Genesis. Well, mm-hmm. how is that good God going to show up in the midst of oppression? Mm. Well, we see that unfold. And in fact, it seems like God actually introduces himself as Israel's God in this context where he actively responds to the cries of an oppressed people group. So God says like, you want to know who I am? Who is Israel's God? Israel's Mm -hmm. God is the God who answered them when they were enslaved in Egypt. Mm -hmm. He's the God who showed up for them. And how does he show up? I mean, this is, this is pretty amazing because Pharaoh literally says, kill all the sons. Mm -hmm. he sees them as the threat, right? And the, right. the, the daughters are not a, uh, they're not a concern in his mind. Mm. And yet, if you trace through the first few chapters of Exodus, what you find is that the daughters that Pharaoh ignored end up actually being his undoing. Mm. And the, the text is very clear to highlight this. So the first ones that show up are these Hebrew midwives. And they're the, they're, they're named in the text, even though Pharaoh isn't named, um, which kind of gives you a clue to, to who God thinks is important here. And these midwives, instead of fearing with the kind of anxiety that Pharaoh has, they fear God. And so mm-hmm. they resist, they resist the commands of this evil empire. And instead they allow these sons to live. So the daughter's the midwives mm-hmm. preserve the sons. Then you move into chapter two and Moses's mother is highlighted. Mm. And she, Hebrews tells us, wasn't afraid of the king's edict. And so she preserved Moses's life. Amen. Then his sister Miriam goes and she goes to the river and inter- intercedes on Moses's behalf in this extremely scary situation stands mm-hmm. up for his life, um, maneuvers. Um, you, you see Pharaoh ta- says, let's deal shrewdly with them. And God's like, mm-hmm. uh-uh, the daughters are about to deal shrewdly with you. Mm. The midwives, Amen. the Amen. Moses says mother, Miriam, like they are all dealing shrewdly. They're using their wisdom and their capacity and their capabilities to resist the evil that they see around them. Mm-hmm. And then I think the most ironic one is that Pharaoh's own daughter. Yeah. I was just thinking about part, that. It's a part of his undoing. So I just yeah. love how God does I this. Love that. He sends her and she pulls Moses up out of the water mm-hmm. and, um, and she knows what's going on because uh, Exodus two verse six she says she opens this basket, sees the child. There was a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him. And she said, mm-hmm. this is one of the Hebrew boys. Mm-hmm. She knew it was her dad who had had him thrown in the river. <laughs> <laughs> she 
And she mm-hmm. said, I'm going to take him home and raise him. And he's going to be his grandson. Yeah. Um, so I love her. Well, then just to kind of make sure the author of Exodus is like, just in case you're not getting the point that God is using the daughters, Moses gets himself into a little bit of trouble. He has to go on the run and he is out in the land of Midian. This is in Exodus chapter two. Verse 15, Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat Mm. down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters Mm. and they show up and rescue Moses, take him home. One of them ends up marrying him. And I think what God is saying to us just as clearly as can be is that God seems to delight in using his daughters to thwart the anxiety Mm. of the empire. And God's daughters have a special role to play, a vital role to play. Mm -hmm. Um, And to the degree that the world and the church, when they're being like the world, Mm -hmm. um, overlooks the daughters of God, they are making Mm -hmm. such a mistake because Mm -hmm. the daughters are on the front lines of how God plans to move in the world. They are on the front lines of God's resistance, of his work of liberation in the world. And I love that Exodus just sets that up so clearly. And Exodus is a model for how we're supposed to think about what God has done throughout all of scripture, that he is this God of Exodus. And so we see just the the crucial role these women play um, in that. And I, I just think that's really beautiful. Oh, man. Do y'all see why I had Miriam on? This is, oh, my gosh. I hadn't even listened to that message in a while. And I'm like, whoo, I'm over here tearing up. <laughs> oh, I love it so oh, much. It's a blessing. Uh, one other thing I, I really love that I just want to mm-hmm. highlight, too, in, yeah. in Exodus 2 is it, at the end of Exodus 2, the mm-hmm. Israelites who have been enslaved, they groan because of their difficult labor. They cry out. And their cry for help because of their difficult labor, because of the slavery that they okay. are experiencing, um, goes up to God. And I want, I want to point to this lament because, I mean, I think we talk a lot, um, probably not as much as we should, but about mm-hmm. how important grief is and how important lament mm. is. But one of the things that I think we miss is that to weep is an act of resistance. Like mm. part of how we resist against evil Um, Part of how we do the work of justice is that we weep over injustice. Um, You know, because if you think about it, Mm. tears tears are a way we tell the truth about evil, right? Mm -hmm. When injustice Mm -hmm. happens, I mean, I remember, I'm sure you remember this too. I remember where I was when uh, the decision came down about Mike Brown and Mm -hmm. That was one of the one of the cases towards the beginning of of some of the the more uh, high profile police um, cases in our country, mm-hmm. and I I think I had thought there would kind of expected there'd be more justice done, right? And um, that that verdict came down, and I'm sure that I was not the only person who cried. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you look and think, oh, tears don't do anything. Tears say this isn't how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Our, our grief and our groans have meaning. Um, and they are actually part of the work of resistance, I think. Mm-hmm. And I love how God 
responds to that. Like God shows up and the Exodus is a response to lament. Amen. Amen. That's, oh my gosh. Woo, you got me tearing up talking about these daughters. <laughs> you know, it's funny because like when it, when it comes to the 2020 election and, and even mm-hmm. so many things, you know, I'm just, I'm just hoping the daughters save us. You know, like I'm just hoping <laughs> so I, wh- whatever way you want to spin it, whatever your political mm-hmm. view is, I hope I hope that the daughters um, do something, bring out a miracle Amen. or something, you know, because uh, it, it ain't the men right now. I'll tell you that mm-hmm. right now. And I say mm-hmm. that as, as a guy, <laughs> you know, I can say that. But, uh, yeah. oh, man, that's so good. And I kind of wanted to highlight something, too. Um just a small thing that I see in the book of Exodus, I think is wonderful. Um, and it's in Exodus 34. And it, mm. in the Old Testament, and I'd love for you to speak on this too, Miriam, if you have any thoughts. Yeah. But in the Old Testament, for the first time, God really kind of consolidates his character, right? I always tell my, my students in my youth group that if God had like a social media uh, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. That would be like his profile. That's the bio. Yep. Right. That, that would be his bio, right? Here's what it says. Um, he, he goes to Moses and he says, it says, the Lord passed in front of him. This is verse 6. And proclaimed, um, the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And the reason this is so amazing, this is something uh, that stands out to me. And I think stood out to all the writers of the Bible (coughs) is because if you read the prophets, if you read the Psalms, um, if you read so much of Mm. the literature of the old Testament, this is the part of God's character that they appeal to the most. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you say so, Miriam? Yeah, absolutely. Can you, can you speak absolutely. on that just a little bit? Yeah, and in fact, I think a great example of this has happened already in this book. So mm-hmm. Pharaoh has viewed the people as a means of production, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as God delivers the <clears throat> people, he brings them out. Mm-hmm. What's one of the first things he does is he institutes Sabbath right? Mm. This day of rest. And Sabbath is the opposite of Egypt because God is nothing like Pharaoh. That's right. God is good. God loves his people. Mm. God is, God has, God is, it it talks about this idea of God abounding in faithful love, right? Mm -hmm. So God has abundance that he is sharing with his people. Instead of taking and Mm. using his people. Mm. And I think God is God's character. Like by the nature of God's character, God can never oppress because Mm -hmm. God is, doesn't take, he gives, Mm. that's who he is. So I I love that you brought that out. I, I completely agree. Yeah. And too, I think what God is doing as well, even though this is his character, I don't think he's just responding to the previous events as Mm -hmm. well. But I think what he's doing is it's it's almost as if Exodus is contrasting Pharaoh and God. Right. Kind of like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, if you read Exodus one, what you'll see is Pharaoh is as abounding in wealth and Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and production. But God abounds in love. Isn't that amazing? Like God is storing up love for us. 
And so I think that's such an amazing contrast. And you even mentioned Sabbath. One of the, one of the things that I think that evangelical Christianity often misses about the Ten Commandments is that the Ten Commandments are what I, what I, I think what God is doing with the Ten Commandments is he is providing an alternative community to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of what you're hitting out with the Sabbath that, you know, the Sabbath is you're not a machine. Mm-hmm. You're not a slave in God's kingdom. Um, you are a daughter, right? You're a son. Mm-hmm. You're a family member who is not meant to work um, all day, every day, as if that is the meaning of life <coughs> is to produce for somebody else, to be used and abused for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just kind of love that, like, there's right. so many different things God is doing in this story to show us we should also be the alternative community, right? right. The world, it, even today. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know. You're good. I was just going to say it's as if God is saying, what would a community look like that was centered around the abundant love of God mm. instead of the wealth of Egypt? Amen. Amen. And, and, and that's one thing that. Um, I just I wish our culture would get today, mm. especially Christians. Right. Because it's like, you know, you can't mm-hmm. really look at the world and blame them for they're living in their sin. They're blind. Right. Um, right. They're dead in their sin. But Christians, we're supposed to live differently. And uh, one of the things you see in Egypt that I think we're seeing now, I, I think this is what people of God have always struggled with to some degree. But you're seeing the Hebrews given to the same kind of fear that Pharaoh did. Right. Mm-hmm. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh fears scarcity. Walter Brueggemann has taught a lot about that. I know you've read him mm-hmm. a lot, but he talks about the, the lot, the satanic lie of scarcity, that there is right. not enough. And that's something every individual struggles with. But I think our our nation mm. struggles with that as well when it comes to, to immigrants and, and different things. But you see the Hebrews falling into the same trap mm-hmm. um, as and yet, Pharaoh. And yet God is discipling them mm-hmm. in that opposite through manna, right? right. God says right. every single day, you don't have to store up at all. Mm. It's going to be Amen. there tomorrow because Amen. God is going to love you as much tomorrow as he does today. Amen. And so I think so often our, our storing up is mm-hmm. rooted in our fear that mm-hmm. God won't be good in the future. Amen. And when we can yep. truly wrap our minds around and hold on to this idea um, that's just at the core of our faith, that mm-hmm. God is good and that God loves us, mm-hmm. then that's how we push back on that fear of scarcity, right? So, mm-hmm. hey, I got one other thing to throw yeah. out for you. Yeah, see, come see on. what your thoughts on. So, come on, bring it. Wouldn't you say that the Exodus is kind of the, the premier Old Testament uh, picture of redemption, as it were, right? Oh, absolutely. It's the biggest. Yeah. To me, I think most scholars agree, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the event in the Old Testament. Right. Okay. So oftentimes, how often do we try to split up these, the idea of liberation and mm-hmm. atonement mm-hmm. and put them at odds? And yet the yeah. exodus is the liberation of God's people. That's right. And right in the center of this liberation is a symbol of atonement in the Passover. Yep. And it's one thing. Yeah. So I just, I love that. About I, oh man, you're so right. And I think what you're kind of pointing out is the way that, well, yeah, we Christians, we like to kind of compartmentalize um, the cross, right. And redemption and what God does. And I think if we don't, get, Miriam, if we don't get what you're saying, then that's, I think that, 
misunderstanding in our theology, if we can't put those two together, ends up looking like uh, a salvation or a gospel that where God says, I, I care about your behavior, but not your suffering. Hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So, for example, yep. Jesus atones for our sin, but he's not trying to lead us out of suffering or out of bondage or out of oppression. Right. And uh, and and I think that is the reason why so many people have actually really been turned off to Christianity um, in the past, you know, 50 years is because mm-hmm. we've we have presented a God that cares about if we do right or wrong, but does not care about if right or wrong has been done to us. Wow. And that's and preach that that is oh, that's so destructive because God cares about both those things. He cares about your personal sin and sin that has been done to you. And, and so right now you kind of have Protestant evangelicalism that says, you know, God cares about your sin, but your oppression. He kind of does, but not really. Then you have the opposite, right? You have maybe more liberal Christianity um, or even the social gospel that says God doesn't really concern with your personal sin, but he, but he really wants to lead you out of bondage. And it's like, man, you have to have both those things if you're going to have an accurate picture. Um, and right. I think the reason cause here, here's how I think that translates in the book in, in the in the book of Exodus. If you can't see your personal sin and oppression, then what you'll fail to see is that down the line, Israel turns into <clears throat> Egypt. Mm-hmm. They become Absolutely. Egypt. Why? Absolutely. Because of their personal sin that begins to manifest itself in systems where Solomon is basically uh, a weapons dealer. Right. And he's marrying all these women he's not supposed to be marrying, not really caring for him. He's enslaving people to build his temple and, and, right. and all different types of things. Like you and I, the reason personal sin is so important, you and I have way more than capable, um, the capability of becoming like Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what a lot of movements don't get about oppression, um, is that oppressed people groups actually can become oppressors. Mm-hmm. Because apart from the grace of God, we're no different. Um, does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that line, I think someone said that line between oppressed and oppressor runs through every human heart. Mm. And I think part of it is that the, the ways, I mean, this is part of evil is that evil causes harm. And, Mm -hmm. um, even when evil is done to us, there Mm -hmm. is, so much um, destructive potential for that evil to shape us in ways that are unhealthy and Mm -hmm. that um, are crooked. Right. You know, we talk talk about sin as kind of this being bent, you know, that instead of flourishing, we're just kind of bent by evil and injustice. And um, so that's why I think God is just addressing evil on every level. Like he is redeeming the whole cosmos. And that's what Moses celebrates in his song in Exodus 15. He says, Lord, who is like you among the gods? And Mm -hmm. um, I love this image that uh, is, is in Miriam's song. She says, sing to the Lord. He is highly exalted. He Mm -hmm. has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. And I think what the Old Testament writers are often getting at There's a verse that kind of encapsulates this in Psalm 138, Mm -hmm. where it says, um, though God is high, he sees the lowly. Great Mm -hmm. is the glory of the Lord. What makes God so incredible 
is that he is exalted and yet he regards the lowly. He regards Amen. the sinner. He pays attention Amen. to this broken world. Pharaoh is exalted and he doesn't care about the Israelites at all. That's right. And that's why Moses can say, Lord, who is like you among the gods? There is yep. no other God like this who you, who is high and exalted that's right. and pays attention to the low. And I think Exodus highlights the fact, like you're saying, that there are all kinds of ways in which all kinds of ways in which we are low and which we are in need of God to lean down and help us. Oh, man, that, that's so true. And uh, I think one of the things that's amazing about um, this narrative is and I think to me, I think we have to realize like, you know, you know, this, there are two kind of tra- not traditions or two kind of schools of thought about, mm-hmm. you know, who wrote the books of Moses. Some people think it was actually Moses, which I kind of fall in that category. And some people think it might have been some sections might have been written by former Babylonian captives when the when the Israelites or the Jews were taken into captivity later on in the narrative of Scripture. Right. It, to me, mm-hmm. either way you spin it, these books are written to in a, a formerly oppressed people group. And. Um, that is incredibly important for how we read these books. Kind of like I said in Genesis, imagine being a former slave. And the first thing the Bible tells you about God is that he's good. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's wonderful. And like you said, the first thing you hear is there's a Sabbath. This is before the law, right? Right. right. And, and just the joy you would have heard, uh, you, you would have experienced being a former slave. Imagine being a woman. And I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. that. I know you are. <laughs> Obviously and- you're a woman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, when I first studied this passage, and and this is why we need to have more women who are teaching these things to mm-hmm. our daughters, because this was never highlighted for me that right. I recall. Maybe I missed right. it. Um, but when I'm, like, studying this and reading this, I'm, like, in tears that, yeah. man, this is God's heart. Yeah. This, is, this is what God is up to in redemption and the daughters are not being left out of God's work. Amen. And I heard Moses talked about so much. Mm-hmm. And I never heard anyone highlighting how God was also at work through his daughters and not mm. just through his sons. Amen. It, it, you know, it's, it's like in the ancient world, it's been this way for a long time, but in the ancient world, it was unheard of that anybody cared about slaves Mm-hmm. And that anybody cared about women, yeah. And and who cares about both of them? It's God, right? I mean, how? I mean, like, I think we don't realize how revolutionary the ancient mm-hmm. biblical text would have been in its time. Now, you know, we look back at it and we're like, this is such a ca- archaic book, and even today, it's revolutionary. I mean, yeah. you know, you you preach this in some other countries, and it's still it's it's almost as if you preached it back mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. and um. It's, it's just incredible. Well, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's easy for us in a, in, a, in, a, in a American context to lose sight of the realities facing women around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is so much suffering and pain and just evil that is done to women across our world. And the gospel is such good news for women. Mm-hmm. 
because God mm-hmm. is in the business of liberation. And Jesus mm-hmm. picks up that mantle in Luke four, when he mm-hmm. says like, this is why I'm here to set yeah. the oppressed free. Jesus yeah. is saying like the new Exodus is starting. And so mm. I'm not at all surprised that Jesus begins to pay attention to these women around him, mm-hmm. whether it's the Samaritan woman um, at the well, whether it's the woman caught in adultery, Martha, Mary, um, all these different women that he encounters because Jesus knows his Bible. So he knows mm-hmm. that the new Exodus is going to bring the daughters along as a part of how God is actually going to accomplish his work mm-hmm. in the world. Mm. That's so good. Oh man, we could go on forever. But <laughs> yeah. You got to have me time. back for a shorter book. <laughs> yes. No, listen, I would, I would love to be here forever, but uh, Miriam, I love you. You know, I love you so much. I'm so glad that you did this. Uh, mm. When you said yes, I mean, I, I figured you would, cause I know you love talking about the Bible, but I was like, <laughs> yes, this is like one of the best ways to kind of kick off, you know, the podcast. Oh, and man, um, I loved it. I, I'm going to try, if it's okay with you, can I try to post the link under the description for this, for this sermon that you preach? Yeah, absolutely. Go okay. for it. Cause I, I think people would really, um, really benefit from that. And, uh, and yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on. You're one of my, I'm, and I'm not saying this just because I know you, but you really are one of my favorite theologians. Um, that's very good. Yeah. yeah. But it was so, super fun. I'll do it anytime. I love talking yeah, about the Bible with you. Absolutely. I'll definitely have it back on, okay? All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. Just kind of wanted to do a little outro for this episode. Do you see why I asked Miriam to come on? Um there's no way you can listen to some of the things that she pointed out in Scripture and not think, that is wonderful. That is wonderful in Scripture. And just want to say thank you uh, to her again. Thank you, Miriam, for coming and doing the podcast. And uh, I'm tempted to have you back for every episode because, oh, my gosh, uh, just the insight that she brings out um, is, is just incredible. And she's such a gifted theologian. She's such a gifted teacher. I'm going to try to put the link to her sermon. She's taught many a times, uh, uh, but, uh, there's a sermon, you know, that we talked about. She preached called, um, the anxiety of Egypt, how fear fuels oppression. And I know it blessed so many people at my church and I want everyone and anyone who has the time to listen to that and, and to listen to, you know, maybe go on our website at Springs of Grace, uh, Bible Church in Tulsa and hear the things she said about uh, prophetic imagination um, and, and all different types of things. And uh, I'm just so thankful. I really, really enjoyed this episode uh, and I hope you do too. Um, love you guys. Bye.